We had a lovely time, as we always do, last night for sure. And I think um, a little bit of what happened there will probably spill over into the session now. But I think more specifically, what I've chosen to do this morning is to have a look at the Torah portion for, for this week. And what's special about this Torah portion is that it's, to a large extent, um, about family. And not family in general, I think it extends to really the concept of any people that want to draw near to God, any people that want to find their um, their connection with him from whatever, from anywhere in the nations effectively even. And um, so there's layers to this. Obviously the first layer the first layer would obviously be directly for Israel, for the people of Israel. But then it extends by, by definition of who Israel is meant to be and what Israel is meant to be in the nations. And so that's where obviously no one gets left behind. And I'm calling it the pleading because Torah portions begin using the words that that section opens up with. And it's the pleading Moses does. I think firstly to God, where he's asking God to allow him to enter the promised land. But by extension, the, the theme of this whole portion is Moses pleading with the people to do the right thing before God as well. And so the theme is one of pleading. And as I said there at the bottom, from generation to generation, this is the pleading that that is needing to still go on, that hopefully Moses' voice is echoing into future generations as we find ourselves even, yeah, let me just see, uh, see someone did some artwork here on the screen. Uh, let's just see if we can get rid of that. There we go. Okay. All right, let's just fix that. Just get the screen back, sorry. Uh, okay, so getting started, ask a question, an odd question to ask. It would appear, is God racist? Now, I, I use this example often. I was asked a few years back, would I want my kids to marry Jewish people? And I was asked by someone that I considered a friend, and I said yes, and this person took offense to that, and they subsequently broken communication ties. And I find it happens a lot, though, that there's many ways that people, that the issue of race, especially even just people who are coming to an understanding of the Jewishness of the faith, there's very much difficulty at times for people to to accept the reality of, the, of certain levels of these separations or differences. You know, obviously we hope for people to... But, make peace with it and to, to ask questions about it. But very often people take serious offense to what looks like racism effectively. And so the question is, is God racist? We look at an example of why that could be considered. Deuteronomy 7 verse 3 from our, from our Torah portion says, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. So you look at that and there are many people who would quote verses like this and and make a cry of racism. I'm not going to try and fully expand on what that means in this moment, but I, what, what I will say is consider the context of when this was said, in what position Israel found herself, in what time of Israel's history this was, and therefore why this becomes relevant. Because without that understanding, it, 
you can misconstrue the meaning of what's going on here. So the question, the next question becomes, why no intermarriage? So if intermarriage was not allowed, why wasn't it allowed? What what was the what was the point here that that God was making through Moses? And when you look at verse four, it becomes apparent. Because they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Now, uh, there's one major example of where this proves true in Israel's history. In fact, a very pivotal time in Israel's history. It's in fact when uh, Solomon falls prey to this problem, ignoring this commandment. At a time when this commandment still would carry weight because there was still the establishing of Israel. And so we all know the story with Solomon, took in wives of all kinds, of all nations, and they brought with them, they literally brought with them idols, and they did turn Solomon away. And in fact, there's much of very dark occultic culture and practices that pay homage to Solomon, that they believe Solomon was the one who opened those doors up and used his wisdom given by God to classify and substantiate all kinds of evil acts that came into the world. And I believe there's substance to it. In fact, if you hear of the Illuminati and Freemasonry, uh, they make extensive use of, of Solomon um, and the history of Solomon and the building of the temple. In fact, a lot of the Masons, lodges and so on, have strong connections to Solomon's temple in that sense. And I don't think it's all outlandish. I don't think it's all crazy. Maybe they can at times take it too far. But the point being, this is why God said it. And again, I've got to say, think of to who he said it and when he said it, and that becomes important elements to understand what's going on. So remember now, this is, we are in the Torah portion. This portion of scripture is within our Torah portion for, for this week. And Moses making the plea. Moses is crying out to the people to do what's right. And as I said, we're going to try and look at this from like a family uh, situation. So the question is now, if Moses was saying this then, and if this held true and it was proven faithful for a man like Solomon, is it true today? So is it true today that Jews should not be intermarrying with other people groups in the world? And I'm going to quote a rabbi here. As I often say, interfaith marriage is not the end of Jewish continuity. Not raising Jewish children is the end of Jewish continuity. And I love this. Um, because it gets to the heart of the point. You see, when God made that instruction, the point was to say, the reason why I don't want you to marry with these people is not because they're worthless. It's not because they don't have value. It's not because they aren't human beings. It's not because they aren't people. It is because what they will do is they are going to lead you astray. And that, when when a nation is called to be holy, then that, um, that's a good warning. That's a logical warning. And um, keeping in mind that Israel's purpose is to actually be the teacher and priest to the nations, it just makes good sense. You can't be serving these people if you are being corrupted by them. Then you're doing them in. In a way, then Israel intermarrying at, at, at an inappropriate time is to destroy the the purpose of Israel. And remember, we are not, we are talking at a time when these people were not yet a fully fledged nation. I uh, spoke last night to some people and I, and I said, the meaning of Hebrew effectively meant just generally one that's from the other side of the water. You actually like a no name brand, or as we like to say of dogs who are not well bred, pavement specials, as they call them. Because obviously, they mating wherever they find a stray dog. So if you take these Hebrews and they don't become Israel yet officially and you start intermingling them with all these other nations, how on earth can you expect proper identity to be formed? It's just sensible that what we need is to keep these people pure 
We need to be sure that they're going to find the right way and and first learn who they are as a people, learn the discipline of culture and having a legacy to pass on. And when that legacy is firm, and when we're sure that legacy can be passed on from one generation to the next, you know what? Intermarriage is not a sin because people are mixing. Intermarriage would be a sin for Jews if in the process of the intermarriage there would be a loss of children being raised Jewish. And that is the point because what you are, if you are if you are Jewish as an adult and you raise your kids in a Western culture, now even if you're not Jewish but you follow Judaism, so you don't have to be Jewish to follow Judaism, of course. So you you raise your you yourself have committed fully to this faith and you do it and you you're following it perfectly or as perfectly as you can. But then you allow westernized cultures, um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TV, whatever else, music, to raise your kids. Then you've lost it. Then it then it's not going to be transferring to the next generation there's not going to be continuity and without continuity it dies from one generation to the next there's a passing on but if we don't establish through good culture and through good disciplines and traditions and teaching with intention then it doesn't get passed on to another generation and that is ultimately that Israel's first job was to pass it on to each generation within herself within our own culture as Jews and then by extension, of course, the nations would be invited and the nations were invited. So we are in a process and, and this Torah portion where Moses is pleading is about, guys, we need to get this right. We need to do this right or we fail in the very purpose that we exist for. And of course, that's that would be a problem. And even Gentiles need to be cheering on that process. Gentiles need to be celebrating where that process succeeded and be lamenting where that process was failing because everybody's salvation is depending on Israel coming to maturity and doing what Israel has to do. And Israel cannot do that without passing on the words of Moses from generation to generation. And effectively, again, even Gentiles now, today who and into the future and until Messiah comes, even Gentiles who are saying, we are choosing to go with the God of Israel. Um, scripture is full of references where it says the nations will draw near, near to Israel. Um, and we, we know there's examples, there's Rahab, there's Ruth, of Gentile women marrying into the Jewish tradition. But what's the difference? These Gentile women submitted themselves to the Jewish culture. So this instruction from Moses is not even relevant to them because they were not a threat to the continuity of Jewish community. And that's the point here. So I think we've already, I've kind of answered it already, is God a racist? No, actually not. He's a preservationist, if I can call it that. And, and let's always remember the point of Jewish culture, the point of Jewish people is to be a witness, is to be a set-apart kingdom of priests for God. And if that kingdom of priests... Who is it that they are priesting on behalf of? They are priesting on behalf of the nations. And that is the point of what needs to be considered with this. And here we go. This is Moses' words. I wanted to read a portion of it. I pleaded with the Lord that time saying, O Lord God, you who let your servants see the works of your greatness and your mighty hand, you whose powerful deeds no God in heaven or on earth can equal. So yeah, uh, it's, it's Moses pleading, pleading, I want to see the promised land. I want to go in. I want to enter with your people. Um, you know, I've, as a teacher, you hear a lot of pleading for a lot of different reasons um, and all amazing excuses come out as to why textbooks aren't in class or work's not done or whatever. And, you know, when someone really throws their all at your feet, and asks for mercy of different kinds. It's a very difficult time to make a decision because, you know, there's a lot riding on it. There's a lot to consider. 
you can't just say yes or no. You've really got to consider the, your, your decision because it will have knock-on effect. And so what is the effect Yeah, I mean, God's a God of grace, right? I mean, he loves, he does love, but there is grace. This is a God who loves Moses, who chose Moses. And yet look at the response God gives a few verses later. The Lord said to me, enough, never speak to me of this matter again. It's pretty intense. Moses gives his life to, he's born for the purpose, and he gives his life to leading these people, these Hebrews, these no-name brain people out of Egypt through the wilderness. He gives them a constitution to allow them to become a nation. And he has one or two slip-ups. He has one or two outbursts of anger. And the result is, shut up. Don't talk to me again about this. It's not going to happen. And, you know, in there again, I find concealed within it, again, the story of Israel as a pioneering nation. I see the story of priests. I see the story of leaders in any capacity. I see the story of pastors, if they're doing their job right, of rabbis, if they're doing their job right, of parents, if they're doing their job right. And the secret of what I mean when I say that is when you step up into these roles and you become holy in any of those capacities I've mentioned and any of those that I haven't mentioned, effectively what happens is you forego your right to be equal because you actually become less. When you become a servant of people in this way, you become less. Um, and I'm thinking of my sister now who might be, I think is listening to this too. And I'm just thinking of you, Diane, if you're listening. And the thought is if my sister is on a, on a, on a flight and she is working and, and taking care of the, the passengers who are flying, if a disaster happens on the airplane, my sister doesn't get to have a nervous breakdown. She doesn't get to panic. She doesn't get to jump into the lap of the nearest passenger and say, save me. She has to keep her cool. And, you know, oftentimes if you think about it, when, when you look at um, movies that are based on, on airplane and, and crashes, you'll always see, even I'm watching one on on DSTV at the moment, you will always see that when panic happens on the airplane, everyone first looks to the flight attendants. They are the direct link between that pilot up front and the people themselves. So those flight attendants don't get to have a breakdown when something bad is happening. They're going to keep on smiling. They're going to keep the uniform looking good. They've got to assure everyone that it's going to be okay. And they've got to, they, they don't get to have a breakdown like everyone else. And so there, even my sister in that capacity, you don't get to have your full experience when you are in the capacity leading. And that's true of anyone in any leadership capacity. You have to serve the people you are called to serve. They need to be able to lean on you. And so the rules are stricter for you. The, the rules are more intense on you. So, and, and this is something we all need to. I'm reading to you from Moses' perspective. He pleads with God. and. In that moment, Moses, from the point that he's pleading, Moses is pleading as a childhood, you could say. Um, yet, in the context of what's going on, Moses doesn't get to be treated like a child. Moses, in that moment, relinquishes his right to be a, almost a human being. And in that moment, all Moses becomes is a tool in the hands of God. And so strict is the fallout for Moses that he doesn't even get to be considered at all. And yet in the midst of that, what still beats in Moses' heart is to remind Israel of what they are to become. Moses takes the time to repeat the Ten Commandments. He teaches Shema again. He speaks about teaching your kids let your generations know what's coming from generation to generation. This has got to continue. We've got to do this. We've got to get this right. And to me, that's an inspiring message. So again, 
There's a multi-layered way to approach this. The first layer is we are worshipping God by our study. We're doing something we don't always do, which is the Torah portion of the week. But here we are, we're doing it. And it is a beautiful thing to do. And it is good to study that, whether Jew or Gentile, because this is the word of God. And this is a method of keeping ourselves aligned with him. But I think by extension, you can still, by extension, apply this concept of community and the continuity of good values, the continuity of good culture, of necessary culture to future generations. We still get to carry that over through this. And I want to extend it to that concept. So I'm talking to my literal, physical Jewish family that are sitting and listening right now. And then by extension, I'm talking to any Jews after that that are going to listen to the recording. And furthermore, to the Gentiles who are listening live and to the Gentiles, this all is applicable to all of us in various ways. Some may be more than others, but the fact remains, the principle of this remains true because all of us that will listen to this are all attempting to draw near to the God that revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So your nationality is not the main thing that's in question here for you to take any value out of this teaching. But the beauty of this particular Torah portion is what drove me to want to get into this. Now, yeah, I, I would I uh, title this portion of the teaching now from me to you. And again, that this is Moses talking to a congregation of people. And if any of you sit in any leadership capacity where, you know, you've got to share of yourself with people, either in a church context or those that are in Rabbi Bible School directly in our shul context and so on. And I'm praying and want to make as a statement that I'm really looking forward to seeing more shul fellowships springing up quite literally around the world. So to those people that are, are those <laughs> candidates, please listen carefully. We have to become like parents to the people we serve. And if we can't see the people we serve as, as kids, as our sheep, as whatever, on behalf of God, then obviously we cannot serve well and we can't do what we are called to do. And that's why I put this here from me to you, which is Moses speaking to these people. And just read these words and know this is from Moses' heart here. But take utmost care and watch yourself scrupulously so that you do not forget the things that you saw with your own eyes, so that you do not fade from your mind as long as you live. And make them known to your children and to your children's children. The day you stood before the Lord at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words in order that they may learn to revere me as long as they live on earth and may so teach their children. Now, there's a few things you should pick up here. By this point, there's something odd about what Moses is saying here. Moses is saying that you saw with your own eyes, don't let it fade from your mind, and you stood before the Lord at Horeb. This is all taken from what actually happened at Sinai first. And a lot of the people that are listening to him now weren't even possibly born at the moment that they were standing at Sinai. So he's actually recalling things from the previous generation's um, history. And yet he's speaking as if this generation stood there too. And I think that part of what's going on here is the reason why Moses will choose to, to recall a very interesting portion of the creation story with Adam and Eve and the serpent. Because if you recall, when, when God calls out to where Adam is um, and, get, and finds Adam and Eve, everyone starts play, playing a blame game. Like, oh, you know, it wasn't me, it was this one. It wasn't me, it was this one. And, you know, the reason why God speaks to Adam and not to Eve is because the instruction was given to Adam. But by extension, the instruction should have spilled over to Eve. And it did because Eve is aware of it. And I think the point that Moses is making is, hey, you know, I know from my studies and from whatever revelation God has given that if we don't pass this on from one generation to another, from one person to another, we all are equally responsible for what's going on here. And if Eve 
and again, I still put the blame behind him, but if Eve had taken more seriously the call and the instruction, she could have been stronger in her position and resisted the temptation of the serpent. And so Moses is effectively saying the same thing to a new generation of Israel. He's saying, I'm talking to you like you were the original generation. And if you don't treat the experience as if you were there as the original generation, then you are more inclined to be duped. You are more inclined to be distracted, to be pulled off the path, to be taken in the wrong direction. And any of you that have ever practiced a proper Passover will know that the experience a person is supposed to have at Passover, the experience a person is supposed to have when you celebrate um, or commemorate and celebrate the body and, and the blood of our Messiah is to believe and is to act in a way as if to say, I was there when he died. I was there when these events first happened. And that, again, shows the power of continuity. That shows the power of family. It shows the power of from one generation to another. The story continues. It gets kept alive. That's the point of recalling history. That's the, the point of tradition most often is to consolidate and to keep alive important events in history. And if we lose that, we are prone to the, the God of this age. And when I say the God of this age, I mean popular culture. And popular culture is constantly, constantly shifting because it's meant to give you an identity crisis. You see, because once you get an identity, you can start having a conviction and you can start having vision. But if pop culture just constantly changes as it does, and I believe that's a very powerful mission that Satan employs from generation to generation, ironically, um, then he gets to destroy things. And if you think about it, every 10 years or so, decades generally, you see pop culture shifting sometimes dramatically. And then what you find is the nostalgic return. Like we are back in an 80s um, uh, nostalgic experience that there's 80s-themed music and clothing coming back. It's because people long for what came before. They remember certain elements, and it has a powerful, powerful means of giving us meaning. And again, that is not a mistake. It is God's design. But it's Satan taking God's design and effectively misusing it. So keep that in mind. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the pleading. We're talking about family. We're talking about Moses saying to a new generation, your parents have died out in the wilderness because of their lack of ability to stick to the promise they made. You've watched at least part of that happen do not make the same mistakes as them. Instead, we are about to enter this promised land to become who we are supposed to become. These laws I've given you are now going to be effectively used when you become a nation in this place. Please do not repeat the mistakes of your parents. And the way to preserve things is to make traditions and to teach and to remind what happened to those who came before us. So let's not repeat their mistakes. And that's why I've got this. Hindsight is foresight from generation to generation. Every generation should hope to leave the generation that follows in a better state than it was born into. Let me say that again. Every generation that is born should make it their mission to leave the generation that follows in a better state than that which it was born into. And this is an instruction from Moses. And any Jews, I'm going to say Jews firstly, and I do mean literal um, ethnic Jews, any Jews that act responsibly make this of utmost importance. In fact, they get it so right, ironically, even in the midst of not fully getting the picture, is that you'll find even atheist Jews sometimes will be absolutely certain to make it home for the high holidays, for times like Passover, um, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, and times like um, Sukkot at the end of the year. They know that they have to be with their Jewish families. And that shows at least that from one generation to the next, this thing of tradition and the power of it has been kept as a trib. Um, even if the full perspective, there's not a change in the heart or spiritual movement, you see that the power of tradition matters and does matter. We have to preserve it, even us. Now, 
Moses, I said, recalls the Ten Commandments at this time. So we know that there's a previous time the Ten Commandments are spoken of. And I just want to very briefly touch on that issue and on what that looks like with, with a comparison here. So here we go again. Now, we start first with Moses having given the Ten Commandments originally in Exodus. And the point, very simple, that I want to make is that in, the, in Exodus, these Ten Commandments were given to the generation that Moses is talking about now, talking to now. In, in Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the children of this previous generation. So in Exodus, he's speaking to the parents. But now in Deuteronomy, he's speaking to the children. So much of what Moses is saying here to these kids is basically a repeat of what's come before. Your parents were the ones that were led out of Egypt. They have died in the wilderness. And the dying and the time taken is a result of not actually handling Torah well. And remember, Torah is firstly any instruction. So any instruction they were given is Torah. And so Moses is saying, guys, wake up, look at this. Your parents in history now have suffered for the actions that they, where they mishandled Torah. And remember the point is, and you, you hear about it in, in Moses' writing, choose life or choose death. Torah leads to life. Abandoning Torah leads to death. This intermarriage and you falling prey to foreign gods and worshipping idols is going to lead to death. Um, grumbling against God leads to death. And that's what their parents had displayed clearly to them. And so Moses is saying, you've now got a history lesson that is not even a generation old. Are you going to learn from it? And the way you're going to learn from it is actually just to create tradition and to keep yourself remembering the history of what's happened and to learn what are the options when you choose God and you follow him properly or you scorn him and you do your own thing. And the problem is this, and the crazy part is in this Torah portion, in fact, it even mentions and it says that if you follow, you know, those gods, those other gods were allotted to the nations. And it sounds terrible, right? Because it's saying basically, well, these other the, the, the other Elohim, which is gods in a plural form, and these would be watchers, these would be the other classes of celestial entities that are not God himself, that have sinned and have rebelled. God has said, okay, if these nations want you, I'll use you as a tool to teach them, and uh, you can preside over them for now. And there would be, obviously, there's a lot of danger that came with that and punishment that came with that. And it was kind of God keeping those nations in a cycle of punishment in a way too. Of course, God doesn't expect nations to stay with those false gods. It's all part of his plan of punishment. And then while he gives Israel a chance to become the priest to redeem those nations. But anyway, the point is, now Moses is not talking to the nations. Moses is not born into a time of history when God is calling all the nations wholesale back to himself. And that's why I said at the beginning, this question of should you intermarry or not is not just as simple as a whitewashed or one size fits all for all generations kind of experience. Moses is talking to a people in transit. He's saying, well, we need to get you from where you are to where you need to be so that these nations can turn away from those gods and come to the one true God of Israel. And so Moses is saying, please do not make the mistakes of your parents. Or effectively, you'll first be punished and driven out of the land and suffer immensely. And watch this. Israel will always run the potential of suffering more under God's punishment than the rest of the nations. Because when you are holy, when you are set apart, the rules are different. The standards are higher. And you need to be held to the higher standard. Because you represent God, Jew or Gentile, because you represent God, and because there are other people who depend on you, and those people are God's children. And when you step into the capacity as a parent, as a leader in a church, in any of these capacities, and you have to deal with people, you will account to God. And that's why this becomes so important, and this is basically what Moses is saying 
to the children of the new generation that have the potential to enter the promised land. But Moses wastes no time telling them, you screw this up and you will be spat out of the land again. So again, the standards are incredibly high. Now, I wanted to give some lessons from the grave as Moses is standing between these two generations of those who have been buried. He himself about to be buried as well, effectively, and the new generation in front of them. And here are some of the lessons. And thanks to my mother who had a lovely Sabbath greeting yesterday that included the the Hebrew word for family. It, It just gave me something to think about. And I looked at it when I saw the message and I was like, wait a minute. Yes, something worth um, pointing out. And it was, was this. So mishpacha means family generally. And what's interesting is mishpatim means law. And you know that in Hebrew, all Hebrew words generally, it has a root basis. So the root of the word is gets built on and you've got a prefix and a suffix. And it's really just such a beautiful language that can just sprout into all kinds of incredible ideas that really just reveal the secrets of the universe. When I say reveal the secrets, I mean those that the secrets we are allowed to be aware of and make use of. And so I said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's coincidental that Mishpacha family and Mishpatim laws will come from the same root word because the laws get lived out in community and family is the ultimate community that has to live together. And then uh, Gary made a very good point as well on the basis of that. Is that not part of the reason why you call the family you married into your in-laws? Um, and I think there's, there's probably basis to that. Even if there's other reasons why that words, those terms became used, they still hold true to the concept of what I'm saying. Yeah. So Moses giving laws to the children of the parents' family, and this is Israel, the call. And again, I can comfortably say this extends to Gentiles who have chosen to draw near to the God of Israel because ultimately when all is said and done, when ethnicity does eventually fall away, then there are no Jews or Gentiles. But please, I am kind of leaning on Paul's wording, but Paul's wording is not in time and space. Paul's wording reached into eternity, and that's what I'm suggesting now too. And I'm using it as an encouragement to say to Gentiles, you're not second-class citizens. You are not less um, worthy of taking seriously what I'm saying here. You get grafted into this family in Israel in in a mystical, uh, spiritual sense. So the principles of the, the responsibility does fall even on Gentiles in this sense. Next one, children bury the parents. There's a lesson in this. Also the responsibility of children to take care of their parents in their older days. There's a lesson in that too. The lesson is you got to be here because these people gave their life. They've instilled values in you. They've given their life to you. They've served you their whole life. Now you are going to take a sobering moment of reality check and you're going to show honor to these people who have done this. And this falls into the Ten Commandments. Odd thing that, right? Into the Ten Commandments. Maybe it's not so odd when I go back and say Mishpacha, family, Mishpatim, laws. And yeah, you got in the core laws that gets given to Israel, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, that children must, you know, obey and, and show respect to their parents. And part of this respect is not just, oh, don't talk back to them or whatever. It includes everything, taking care of their needs in their old age when they need that. And there's a sobering lesson about life, the frailty of life. Watching your parents get older and all of that will be a lesson to be learned in that way. And it's a time of reflection, thinking back on memories. I drove yesterday. I went yesterday to go and um, I had to pick someone up. And when I picked them up, what happened is I got to ride past my old home which is in Royal and Park. So my family that's listening to that now can, can know what I mean when I talk about that. And it was so, it was quite emotional. It was an emotional trip because this is into my history and, I, and it shocked me again. I'm turning 40 on Wednesday and yeah, it shocked me again just how much it moved me to drive through the streets where I grew up. I want to, I was saying to Nandi, I want to stop and take photos, but in today's age that might get me arrested. Um, I might even go so far as to want to just pop in one day and just ask these strangers, like, can I walk through your house because I grew up here? 
because it matters. I was a I was raised there and it, it shaped me. The things that happened in that house and what I got given from that place shaped me. And these things are important and they do matter. And I believe God has designed the complete human experience with all of this to have those elements in it. Okay. Lador Vador, which means from generation to generation. And this is the point again. When we bury our parents, when children bury their parents, effectively, the mantle of leadership, of responsibility to keep the family name, to keep the family's values going, gets passed on to the children. And that, again, links right back to the bearing of the pet. We have to keep it alive from generation to generation because if we don't deliberately do this, it's vaporizing. It's, it's the destruction of something. You know that the worst curse that can be given in biblical terms was for people not to have kids or to um, have their names wiped out by God. Now, please, I'm not saying that this means every human being that's ever been born that can't have kids is now cursed by God because, again, context. The context was in God's economy for Israel where God has said you need to be fruitful as a nation to grow. That context was that, and this is why David's, son with Bathsheba dies. The child did nothing wrong. The point is the child wasn't born to just anyone. The child was born to someone in a very specific time in a very specific place. So the point is from generation to generation, things must be passed on. And you know, can I tell you something? I look at it me in, as a teacher at school. I didn't need to have kids physically to have kids. If that makes sense. Because when you become a teacher, and if you are a teacher, and if you are an adult in any kind of capacity with any group of people, to become a parent is so easy. You just need to find a need. You just need to establish a relationship. And so for me, I always tell people I've got 643 kids because that's how many kids there are in Linkside. And I love them like they are kids of mine. And I, I, would, I would come close to giving them as much as I give my kids if I had the capacity to. And that's, again, how I know I'm doing what I must. But in that same sense, I feel that about anyone I teach on RBS, even people that are like uh, um, Janet, my adopted babcha, my, my grand that I've adopted. It's that same thing. And there's, we've still had a generational connection in that sense. So to those that I teach that are much younger than me, in RBS, the same principle applies. I get to pass on from one generation to the next, and that extends beyond family ties of the normal variety, if you want to call it that. Okay, and then this one. Do as I did if I should have. That sounds confusing. Do as I did as if, I, if I should have. So in other words, lessons from the grave. How many times haven't you heard people say, yeah, my father always used to do this or my mother always used to do this, or my grand always used to do this. And that can either be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. If it's a positive thing, then take it, take it from one generation to the next. If it's a thing they shouldn't have done, then don't take it. Then mention it as something not to do. And in doing that, you'll be like Moses. Do not do what your parents did. I hope, I've I hope that my kids do not make some of the mistakes I know I'm making and will try not to make, but probably will still in some ways. And you know what I hope for them and for my grandkids? I hope my grandkids rise up one day and say, well, I'm going to do this that my father and mother did, and I'm not going to do this that my father and mother did. Because to assume everything I'm going to do as a parent is right is absolutely ludicrously absurd. I don't expect that. But if I don't carry this heart of I need to pass on to the next generation something good like Moses is attempting to do, then we are in trouble. Then we are in more trouble than we need to be. For every generation of, of leaders, of parents, in family, spiritual or literal family, that don't stand up and do this, intentionally live to pass the good things on to the next generation, we are going to be in trouble and we don't want to be. Now, Going back to that quote again, as, as I often say from the rabbi, interfaith marriage is not the end of Jewish continuity. 
not raising Jewish children is the end of Jewish continuity. So if you are in the group and you're not Jewish, you still get to raise Jewish children in any capacity you are. And if you are, and I'm watching it with RBS and how we're growing as a family. The family of RBS, especially at the shul meetings that we're having, they want to live a Jewish lifestyle. And I'm all for that. I'm all for encouraging that. Because a Jewish lifestyle in the more general sense of the word is God's chosen way for the nations to be redeemed and to be restored and to have value and to show honor to him and by showing honor to him, showing honor to each other. So I want to show you the next part of what that rabbi wrote. That was what Moses taught the people then. And this is what we have to teach the community now. Through the sharing of transformative Jewish experiences with our children, and listen to this, and with newcomers to the community, we continue the legacy gifted to us on the way to the promised land. I'm going to read that second part again. Through the sharing of transformative Jewish experiences with our children and with newcomers to the community. That's the big part I want to show you with newcomers to the community as well, which he implies to mean, yeah, they are not Jewish. We continue the legacy gifted to us on the way to the promised land. We are family. The nature of our family might differ through our connections. If it's not DNA, blood, it's by Jesus that we love. It's by connection through the people we know. We are family and the story is multi. It goes, it's dual carriage. It goes both ways. All these ways, up, down, to the older people, to the younger people, to the people our age, all of us, we are family, and we can keep these things alive through generations by doing this in that capacity. And I've deliberately had to keep things short today, and I'm, I'm trying to keep things within an hour, and I think I've pretty much achieved that. So, um, Gary, if you want to take over for some comments before we end. Okay, um, Sheree. Sheree. I think I think she's muted. Okay. Sheree, well, if, if, if you. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. She's she's got okay. it. I'm here. Okay, so speak to us. What do you think? Questions, statements? Hi there. Yep, we can hear you. Look, um, I've been in and out of the session quite a few times. Yeah, okay. I've been out of the session quite a few times um, this morning. Um, but I think the grafted in, the being family as a Gentile, the idea, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm someone without children um, in our marriage. And so just knowing that the influence I have um, to share what I know and the excitement, you know, for, for sharing what I'm learning with the children that I have, um, you know, connected to me, the young people that I have connected to me yes. is um, affirming that that's part oh, of the yes. that's part of the story that's part of yes. the purpose of why I'm walking right. the journey as well so Amen. that was quite affirming to hear when i was able to hear something great yeah okay thanks uh, nande okay yeah um, I had a question, but I think you kind of answered it. Um, I was going to ask, because earlier on you said uh, it would apply, uh, example, to even the Gentiles or the foreigners around them who had left Egypt or any nation. I think I remember asking you the question once, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, something like that, where while the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had the tabernacles, Oh, no, it was last week. Uh, the show me your glory kind of thing. And if the Israelites were in the desert, in the tabernacles, and obviously they had just defeated the, God had just defeated the superpower at the time, which is Egypt in a kind of spectacular way. And so it would have made news throughout the known world at that time. Like these nobodies um, 
this god had just defeated all 10 gods, even Pharaoh himself. So I'm sure some people might have wanted to go see this god, if I'm not mistaken, and they would have wanted to maybe even stay there. So like when you said that even when a Gentile woman married a Jewish man, she, you know, the kids would have to be Jewish. And I was going to ask, like, well, how would it apply differently if, like, example, a Gentile man married a Jewish woman during that time? Would he be allowed to during that time or even now? Because, again, the identity that you take is your father's identity. Um, then you right. Know. Yeah. So how would that play out particularly? Or would it be different? Would it play out the same way Would the kids have to formulate a Jewish identity? I would say irrespective of mom or dad being Jewish, to raise Jewish kids is the smartest thing you can do if you have kids. Mm. And you can live a Jewish lifestyle within reason and within proper responsible action, taking into account Paul's writing and the restrictions that Paul and the apostles gave. You can live a Jewish lifestyle and raise Jewish kids without being Jewish. But, of course, being Jewish, that whole situation would be a lot more intense and a lot more responsible. So, for example, Nanda, if you and Katie have kids versus what Benjamin and Holly would look like in a Jewish, both would be Jewish kids if you consider them their cultural, um, what we're going to give to them as parents. But there would also be differences that becomes the witness to show what God is doing. So I guess the terminology would have to be carefully explained because I would consider your kids Jewish if you were raising them Jewish, but I wouldn't be implying that they are ethnically from the 12 tribes of Israel, so to speak. Yeah, I think that was the only question. Um, Besides that, that was really interesting. And I think... The idea that you become a parent. I sit in the school uh, when I'm with you at school, uh, just with those kids. Technically, for that 40 minutes or the whole day, all the teachers are the parents at that moment. And right. you're not just teaching them, um, you're taking care of discipline. And it's just not only for you, it's even for any other teacher there. You need to you need to protect the ones that might be bullied. You need to think of the ones that are smarter than the other ones and even the ones that are struggling with the other ones. You know, you're always thinking yes. just not on the subject matter, but just holistically about the kids in all. You know what I mean? And right. it, you do feel responsible. And how, what I say and how I even, I don't, I don't get like, if I'm tired, which I am, I don't get to like say, guys, you know what? I really don't want to do anything. I don't want to even see your guys' faces right now. I can't say stuff like that to them because I don't have a choice. I don't have that right. I like they might. They might exactly. <laughs> Which they do. Um, so, yeah, it's this, this Israel, this teaching, this teaching example God has with God and Israel, you know, even if it's not literally applicable, to Gentiles, it's still in some way applicable somehow. Um, yep. So yeah, that's that's just generally. So thanks for that. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, Janet. Hi. Yes, this was an absolutely beautiful teaching, and one that I think one can't question, not on any level. I was just uh, so happy that I decided to do the reading this morning and um, not only the Torah, the Haftarah and the Brit Chadashah as well. And it is, it's an absolute blessing. And not only that, um, I am one of the oldest people and thank you for referring to me as your Babsia. Um, and I can only think that, as I said to you guys at the um, Show Me Your Glory conference, that I look at you and there's so much vitality and there's so much, shall I say, hope. I'm talking to all of you now. Whereas we, the older generation, uh, we can only say, well, I can only say, thank God that I found the way so very, very late in life. And while my children are possibly even older than you, um, I can only really 
lead by example now and they do see the way I live. Um, they have children of their own and yes, I'm, I'm trying as best I can. But generation well, to generation is vital, absolutely. Thank you, Darren. It was beautiful. That's it. Pleasure. Darren, and morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Hello. Yes. Hi, Panda speaking. Thank you so much yes. for a beautiful lesson this morning. Um, and thank you for loving us so, so greatly. And thanks for the teaching. I echo Janet's words to say this morning was such a blessing. Um, it says so much about family and even in terms of our sphere of influence and how we how we lead and how we serve others more right. so that we held to a higher standard almost, you know, um, that was interesting for me. Um, there's much I need to learn about the, the lifestyle, I suppose. So that's questions I have yeah. going forward. Yes. Um, but I made it very much for family and today gave me a greater sense of, of belonging um, and more knowledge of, of my identity and that was interesting for me thank you so much oh, i'm so blessed i'm happy really glad to hear that okay we've got a i don't know who it is but a galaxy j7 prime i mean it's quite a good name but i'm not sure it is but i'm not sure hi oh, it's debbie <laughs> hi yes hello Oh, I really enjoyed that session, and um, yeah, where do I begin? Uh, I think something that touches me is, is just identity, you know, each person's identity. If you have your identity in Christ, you know, that's the beginning of all, and then only then you can really <laughs> start uh, even really making a difference in other people's lives and that whole generation to generations. There's such a responsibility and it's, it's right. such a pleasure, but it's, it can be very heavy in a person's heart. So you said something earlier about um, starting off, when, think about when you were born and leaving, you know, are you leaving the earth in a better place? Whoa! Right. Um, you know, that could put you in a bit of a spin um, because oh, things are not always going so well. But when we take scripture and we see what will happen, so you've got to just do the best that you can do um, and being obedient to God. And then I just find it amazing that, you know, even I think of how much I've messed up and I see how much church has messed up. I see how much individuals have messed up, but then God is, you know, he's, he spoke to the, the parents and then later on he speaks to the children and, and he does such beautiful things and there's, there's always hope and he is always working and Amen. he is working from generation to generation so that, you know, otherwise you can get into that total panic <laughs> and then, you know, no, God is in control and you just submit to him and and knowing your identity in him and that he will keep working through the generations and yeah so and what a privilege it is regardless if you've got children or how many children you've got he always places people in your life that um speak to you and minister to me and then i again can minister to others it's just such a beautiful right. family picture and it it doesn't matter what your background is or or <laughs> or where you live and or anything of like that. It all matters about choosing God and being in awe of him and and just acknowledging him and yeah. It's huge. <laughs> what a privilege. It is. And it's so good to hear you, Debbie. I must tell you I've missed you here. <laughs> That is good to be able to have a have a gap. Yeah. 
Tell me, I do listen to the sessions on um, that are recorded. So yes, yes. No, but it's just nice to have you live. Nice, nice to be on today. Thank you. Okay. That's uh, everyone else. Does anyone else want to say anything here? Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. <clears throat> Darren, it just got me thinking about the importance of carrying on tradition. And I must admit that having been a Catholic, you know, all the ritualistic stuff and the mass and the order of service, and then also with the Anglican Church, I used to be a bit critical about a lot of the things that were done. And then when we first started going to one or two of Alistair's um, shul meetings. It was like almost a reminder of the Catholic days and, and stuff like that. And it was quite a, a setback in my thinking because we'd moved through so many different phases of worship and being led of the spirit and you do what you feel and touchy-feely stuff. and you know, nice worship teams and creating atmospheres. And then, boom, all of a sudden, we discover our Jewish faith and we find the call and the responsibility is to get back into the very thing that we thought was dead and old and stale, you know. And um, and then now listening to this and the commands given through Deuteronomy through about the children and all that, it becomes clear it's not about what I feel comfortable with. It's about obeying what God has told me to do and what God calls us to set an example for others. So the physical example of keeping Sabbath, keeping the, the feast days and all that stuff is very important. And even although we might find difficulty in engaging with all this, the beauty is that... Um, this is what God wants to carry on from generation to generation. And uh, it brought to mind a, a TV series that I used to like watching. Yeah, I don't know if you guys ever saw it over there called um, A Place to Call Home. It was about a family, a well-to-do family in Australia. But featuring in as one of the main actors, it was this uh, Jewish nurse who becomes pivotal in the story and falls in love with one of the rich uh, wealth, well, wealthy farm owners. And it was interesting, one of the episodes a little while back, um, she married this guy and they had a son out of that marriage <clears throat> and they were, I think they were Anglican. But she laid down the condition even before they got married and said that she wants to raise their son in a Jewish faith. And in one of the episodes, they have um, a Sabbath meal and they invite some of their neighbors to the meal, you know, and it was a beautiful picture of her taking what you've just said now seriously and her husband accepted, although he didn't commit to the Jewish faith, he respected her raising their son as a Jew and it's just a picture of that continuity that is meant to be passed on and I think it's even for me I'm just thinking of the kids that that we foster that we don't indoctrinate them as such but I think I, I realize that I have a responsibility to at least share that message with them what they do with it um, you know, it's up to them as they grow older. But, um, yeah, but thanks for that. So that's given me fruitful thought mm. and a bit of a challenge there. I think we, you only have to look at what you try and I think a great thing to add is if you want to see how it works and how it can go wrong, not wrong, but how it can be effective is if you watch Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Tradition, mm. children, and then the, uh, when, she, when the youngest daughter marries into the local population, how that dis 
it not even destroys, but it it's those you know, there's dishonor, there's you can see right through the movie how they flirt with the world and the danger of flirting with the world pulls you away from God's ways, tradition that's good, it's centered in God. You can get uh, out of control very quickly. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, interesting. And then Moses as well. Like Moses was an incredible man, but look at him. He was so close. What, what is what is the saying? He was the uh, one of the mo only men that, sp that spoke with God. You know, so closely. And yet, he had one of the greatest responsibilities. He could, he could, he he basically could see the promised land, but he could not touch it. I mean, imagine how agonizing it must have been for him to look upon the Israel, you know, the promised land, and think, and then just knowingly submit and think, "Oh, I can't enter it. It's it's tough. It's hard to." But God is very, very. Uh, What's it? He expects more from those. Yeah, you know, he, he has a lot of responsibility. Those that are closest to God and are teaching and are dealing directly have the greatest responsibility.